Folks, if you've got a Bible in front of you, please turn with me to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. So in that, uh, that vast Christian world that is out there, if people know anything about us, if people know anything about our denomination, the Free Church of Scotland, they know or they think that we are the Sam's guys. That's who we are. We are the Sam's guys. We are the ones who love the Sam's. We are the ones who, until recently at least, sang exclusive Samedi. We love the Sam's. We are the people who love the Sam's so much that we don't have one but two Psalters in our songbook. So as we start out tonight, as we start out this evening, let me just throw this out there. Do you think that's true? Are we the Psalms guys? Do we love the Psalms? Do we cherish the biblical Psalms? You see, the Psalms are fantastic. The Psalms are, are wonderful. Not only do Psalms praise God in the way that God should be praised, but the Psalms also encapsulate every human emotion there is under the sun, don't they? And they encapsulate much of biblical teaching. You know, the Psalms are songs about God. The Psalms are songs about Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said this about the Psalms. This is great. He said, The Psalter ought to be precious and dear were it for nothing else than the clear promise it holds respecting Christ's death and resurrection. He goes on, it might well be entitled A Little Bible. So, let me ask you again, do you think it's true? Are we the Psalms, guys? Do we cherish the Psalms? Have you got kids at home? Well, are you teaching your kids the Psalms? If you don't have kids at home, are you yourself learning the Psalms? You know, you're going through a good time in life just now. Well, go to the Psalms. Rejoice in them. Rejoice in your God. And if things are falling apart tonight, then go to the Psalms. Read them. Reflect on them. Meditate upon them. Well, it's to, as you can imagine, it's to the book of Psalms that we turn uh, this evening. And in particular, it's to a group of Psalms that are, that are near the end of the Psalter. A group of Psalms that are called the Songs of Ascent. And these are the, the Psalms from number 120 through to 134. Songs of Ascent. Now these Songs of Ascent, they were used as a kind of miniature songbook that the people of God used at festival times when they would, you know, travel from the, the countryside and the area around Jerusalem. 
they would travel up to Jerusalem and they would be singing these songs. They would be singing the songs of a saint. And it's in one of these, Psalm 122, that we're basing ourselves tonight. And there will be, God willing, four points that we'll look at. And they will all be based around a theme. They'll all be based around a question. And that question is what should mark our worship of God? How did, how did you come to church tonight? What was your heart like as you came to church? What should characterize your heart and worship? What should mark our worship? Of God. So have that, please, at the back of your minds, at least. Four points. Let's make a start, and let's consider our first uh, point this evening. That is the joy of worship. The joy of worship. Now, <clears throat> I remember as a child, I remember waking up one morning and having that, you know, that sort of familiar a disorientated and, and confused feeling you sometimes get when you wake up. And I, I woke up and I wasn't really sure where I was. And then things started coming back to me and I realized, okay, I'm in a tent and uh, I'm, I'm in France. I'm on the first day of my holidays. And then things began to fall into, into place. They came back to me and I remembered that we'd set off the day before as a family on holiday. And I remember my brother and I were, were just so pleased about this trip, about this journey that we were going on. And I remember it all coming back to me and me being in that tent and being just so delighted. Here it was. I was in France. We were actually here. And that is the sort of attitude that's the sort of thing that we're dealing with in the first couple of verses of Psalm 122. You see, the psalmist here, he is looking back on the excitement he had as he began this trip that he was on. But more than that, he is absolutely delighted at the beginning of the psalm that he is at his destination. He's delighted that he is in Jerusalem and he can't quite believe it. But note that the excitement he has is different to the, the excitement I had as a child. Because this is not excitement about a, a just trip. The psalmist isn't excited just because he's going on a journey. Know that the psalmist... There's, there's euphoria here. Why? Because he's going to Jerusalem to worship the Lord God. That's why he's excited. Verse 1. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. This is excitement, folks. This is euphoria. This is the joy of worship. Now, when we hear that, surely we've got to be asking ourselves some pretty serious questions, don't we? 
you know, how did you come to church tonight? I don't mean, did you get a bus or did you take the tube? I mean, what was your heart like when you came out to church this morning and when you came out to church tonight? Did you come here like the psalmist? You know, did you come here with that enthusiasm and with that excitement? I am going to worship the Lord God. Did you come with that hunger, that enthusiasm? Does that sound like our attitude to worship? You see, folks, I tried um, over the years, numerous times, to try and learn uh, the shorter catechism. The Westminster Confession of Faith, shorter catechism. And I battled with this. And I, I think I'm getting too old. I just, my memory's gone and I can't deal with it and I can't get past the first couple of catechism. But that's okay. Because what does the first catechism ask? It says, what is man's chief end? It says, essentially, what is the primary purpose of mankind? And what's the answer that it gives? It says, we are to glorify God. And what else? We are to enjoy him. We are to enjoy God. Do you enjoy your God? Do you rejoice in him? Do you delight in your heavenly father? Well, if not, consider why it is that the psalmist is rejoicing in Psalm 120. Why, why is he like this? Why is he so, so excited? Well, he can't quite believe what he is. He can't quite believe that a, a man like him is in the place of worship. He's in Jerusalem and he can't believe it. He can't believe that he is so privileged and secure to be there. His feet are actually standing in the gates of Jerusalem. And because of that, he rejoices. My friends, the situation is the same for us. Are you a Christian tonight? Are you a believer? Well, then if so, your feet are standing in the gates of Jerusalem. You are there. You know, you don't, you didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But God has set you free. You didn't deserve it, but he's taken you from that place of worry and that place of death and judgment. And he has set you on the hillside of salvation. You're standing with your feet, your feet in Jerusalem. That should make us sing for joy. Friends, the only way to a greater sense of joy in worship is through a greater understanding of God's grace in our lives. I'll say that again. The only way to a greater sense of joy in worship is through a greater understanding of God's grace in our lives. Romans 5, it sums that up. Romans 5. Since we have been, what does it say? Since we have been justified 
through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, who we have been justified. We have peace. What should our reaction be? What does it go on to say? Therefore, we rejoice. We rejoice. There must be joy in worship. Because, friends, our feet are standing in the gates of Jerusalem. So joy, joy. A second thing, let's consider the unity of worship. The unity of worship. Let's focus our mind on the fact that there are an awful lot of plurals going on in the first few verses of this psalm. There's a plural focus to the rejoicing that goes on here. Did you see that? There's rejoicing with others. Let us go to the the house of the Lord. Then it's not my feet are standing in Jerusalem. It's our feet that are standing in the gates. You know, there's a a sheer delight. There's a, a sort of a corporate joy to all of this and then that's 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 just enhanced by the second section of this psalm and i don't know if your bibles are open just have a look at verse three and see how jerusalem is described what does the psalmist say about jerusalem he says it is closely compacted together now what does that mean Jerusalem's closely compacted together. Well, and I say this frequently, but commentators, they disagree. And when it comes to this idea of being closely compacted, again, commentators disagree. What does it mean? Well, it could be a reference to the city walls of Jerusalem. Now, if we were to go on a congregational outing just now, if we were to go out the doors there and across the road to the roundabout and to the Museum of London, you can get from one of the windows there a good view of part of the, the wall, the London wall, the remains of that. And throughout the city, in various other places, you can see the remains of the city well. Well, that is absolutely the opposite of what Jerusalem was like. It's the opposite of what the walls of Jerusalem resemble. Because Jerusalem, it was famous. It was renowned for having this continuous and unified wall that went right round the city. And it was famous for that for centuries, even before uh, King David. So the idea here, it might be, you know, Jerusalem is closely compacted inside this unified wall. Okay? But most probably, what we've got is a reference to the people within the wall. You see, Jerusalem is called a city, but it wouldn't have been a particularly big place. And at these festival times, multitudes and multitudes of people would have come up to Jerusalem. We read, don't we, in verse 3, verse 4, about the tribes. The tribes going up to Jerusalem. They would have gone up to worship and they would have been closely compacted together. 
So it's the walls, perhaps, or it's the people. But either way, the message, the point is the, is, is the same, isn't it? The city of God, the church of Jesus Christ, it has to be a place of harmony. It has to be a place of unity. It has to be a place of togetherness in Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to to discussing unity, and when it comes to discussing the unity of a congregation and the unity of a church, that's very often a difficult thing for us to discuss and a challenging thing to discuss. But tonight, let's just simply ask this. Let's ask whether unity is something that we not just value here, but is it something that we actively value? You know, is it something that you think about? And is unity something that you come to church eager to work for? Unity in Jesus Christ. Is it something that you, something that you pray about? You see, the verb that we've got here, the verb for being closely compacted together, it's used somewhere else. It's used in Exodus. And it's used of the tabernacle there. And it's used of the clips in the tabernacle that forced the sides of the tabernacle together. And that has to be a picture of us. We have to be forced together. We have to be clipped together. And we have to be like that by grace in Jesus Christ. See, the, 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 the song of ascent that we sang last week was Psalm 133. And how true are their words. It says there, Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. How true it is. There must be joy, but there must be unity. Okay, moving on. A third thing. We've seen joy. We've seen unity. Let's consider the fact that there should be humility in worship. Humility in worship. Now, perhaps it has um, always been the case, but also perhaps more than ever in the 21st century, feelings govern behavior. In the 21st century, emotions seem to govern more than ever how we act. Um, I... uh, remember being astounded by a, a, a friend of mine because he acts always so impulsively. He's governed by how he feels. You know, he'll quit his job because he wakes up that morning and he doesn't really feel like going in. Or he starts seeing a new girl uh, while he's still seeing another girl. Why? Well, because he feels like it. You know, feelings govern our actions. If you like, emotion acts as our monarch. But we see in this psalm, 
We see in Psalm 122 that such kind of flimsy or a changeable motivation has no place in the worship of God. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be emotional in worship. There's a place for that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we cannot reserve worship for just the times that we feel like worshiping can't reserve worship for just when we feel like it. Look at verse 4. It says, that is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. Do you get it? The tribes went up to Jerusalem to worship. Why did they do that? They did it because they were commanded to by God. Judah 16, 16, it says, Three times a year, all you men must appear before the Lord at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, at the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you get it? The people went to worship God because they were instructed to, because they were commanded to. And um, the situation is the same for us. You know, Hebrews 10, 25 Um, It tells us not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, because of who God is and because of what he has done for you and also, to be brutally honest, because it is commanded in the Bible, Sunday by Sunday, we're to take the concerns of the world and we're to forget about them. And we are to come here. We are to meet here together. We're to come to this place. And we're to gather with our brothers and sisters. And we are to bow before the Lord God. We are to worship God. I mean, think about it. Over the years, you know, how many times have you come to church reluctantly but you've left thanking God that you were there we are commanded to worship God and and we see also a, a necessary humility not just in the duty to worship God but also because of what is contained at the place of worship did you see that did you see when Paul read through it what was contained in Jerusalem. I think it's verse 5. It says, in Jerusalem, there the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of David. So, the background, the situation is that the, the, the people of God would come up for these festivals, they would leave their homes in the countryside, they would walk up to Jerusalem, they would go up to worship God, But part of what would happen was when they got there, there would be an administration of justice. The people would come before the thrones of judgment. This was where Jerusalem was where the seat of power was. There was a higher authority in Jerusalem 
And at worship time, the people would bow before that higher authority. And friends, we have to replicate that humble attitude when we come to worship the Lord. Because here, in the church, the Bible, God's word, that is the throne for judgment. That is the higher authority. And we come to church, we come out at night, and we must humbly bow before it. Now, let me say, friends, don't dare come to church thinking small thoughts. You know, don't come to church thinking, I wonder what you know the, the, the guy at the front is going to talk about tonight. Don't think small thoughts. Think big. Think great thoughts. Come to church thinking, what is Almighty God, a God who ha- has the power to create the universe, what is he going to say through the thrones of judgment? What is the Lord going to say to me from his word? Joy, unity, humility. And we end just with a word on the concern of worship. The concern of worship. So I met with a a guy for coffee this week. He was in church last week. And I, I met up with him during the week and he had a number of fascinating questions about the Christian faith. It is a guy who is clearly concerned about his eternal destination. And one of the questions that he had was a question about whether biblical Christianity can offer some sort of alternative to what he sees as a lack of concern and a lack of care for people throughout the city of London. He sees it as an uncaring place. He wants to know, can biblical Christianity offer an alternative to that? And of course, I'm sure you would agree. The answer is yes. The Bible shows us the necessity of caring for each other. And we see that really clearly in that last section of the psalm. Again, if your Bibles are open, just have an eye on it from verse 6 to the end. Verse 6 to the end. What the psalmist does is issue his readers with a big appeal. Now, you and I are instructed to, verse 6, we are instructed to pray Not just that, we are even told what to pray for. We are to pray for the peace and security of Jerusalem. Now, I hope you have seen all the way through that we are not talking tonight about the physical city of Jerusalem. That this is a metaphor here, and it is a metaphor for the church of Jesus Christ. So can I ask you, Do you do what the psalmist tells you to do? 
Do you pray for the peace and security of the church of Jesus Christ? Do you do that? Do you pray for this congregation here? Is that a a mark and a feature of your prayer life? Do you pray for the leadership? Do you pray for the elders? Do you pray for the deacons? Do you pray for the Sunday school? Do you pray for the, the mentoring? Do you pray for the spiritual growth, the spiritual debt? Do you pray for our walls and our citadels? Do you do that? What about your denomination, the Free Church of Scotland? You know, we have a huge meeting in the next couple of weeks where major decisions are going to be made about the future the denomination decisions that will impact us here at LCPC. Are you praying about that? Let's expand that. Let's extend it. Do you pray for the persecuted church? Does that seem distant to you? Well, friend, there are people like you tonight being tortured. And there are people like you tonight being killed. Why? Because they love Jesus Christ. Do you pray for them? Do you? Verse 7, do you pray that those who love the Lord will be secure? Do you pray? Well, as we close, do you see who this psalm points to. Surely you do. Do you see it? Surely we see that this points to one who can bring complete and utter peace and security to his church. The one who the one who himself went up to Jerusalem. The one who was crucified outside those unified and famous city walls. Friends, we are, each of us, if we're Christians, we are on pilgrimage. And we are going up to the new Jerusalem. And that is possible only because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We should rejoice in him and we should rejoice in that place, that city whose foundations and whose builder and whose architect is God. So why don't we, all of us, resolve tonight to change? Let's resolve to worship God and to worship him as he ought To be worshipped. Why? Our feet are standing in the gates of Jerusalem.